And now, with Sound Investing, here's Paul Merriman. Well, we have a very busy week coming up. Uh, next Monday, August 16th, we have a special uh, evening presentation from 5 to 7 Pacific Time. Uh, Jeff Lena Weaver and myself are going to be making a presentation to high school seniors or other students and hopefully their parents. Uh, this presentation is entitled Navigating a New World. And that new world is college. And uh, I think it's going to be great fun. I am anxious to see Jeff at work because he is actually not only a professional storyteller, uh, but he is an, uh, certainly an expert on careers. And he'll be talking about important decisions that, that uh, young people have to make in terms of their careers. A lot has been written lately about how careers are changing because of exposure to the coronavirus. And he's going to be talking about cheaper and faster ways to gain the required credentials that one might need. And of course, costs are going to be a focus of a lot of his presentation. I, on the other hand, am going to be talking about some of the super smart things that very young investors can do with very small amounts of money to get started on the highway to successful investing, even while they're in high school. And in the course of that discussion, I'll be talking about some of these million-dollar decisions that uh, we talk about in We're Talking Millions. So uh, I hope you'll go to uh, BCF. Actually, uh, it's Bainbridge uh, CF standing for communityfoundation.org, bainbridgecf.org, uh, to sign up to, for this presentation. Uh, I also, next Wednesday, I, have to, I think of it as one of the most important days of my life, <laughs> we, are going to be, uh, we are going to be introducing the new calculator. Uh, we call it uh, a, a, a lifetime investment calculator. So whether you are a first-time investor or you're on the brink of retirement or you're in retirement and trying to do the best with your money while you survive and the rest, uh, the best for your money for those who survive you. The calculator, it can be used really for dozens of ways to test the past in trying to prepare as best you can for the future. So uh, I hope you will join us next week. It will be, uh, really, there'll be a couple of things you might want to uh, participate with. One is a, a discussion between uh, Chris and Daryl and myself with Craig Apple, the young man who developed this new calculator, and uh, we'll discuss it. Uh, we'll talk about some applications, and then there'll also be a separate presentation by Craig himself uh, on uh, how it works and putting it uh, into action 
to, to meet whatever your personal needs might be. And finally, I want to mention a kind of a, a mark-your-calendar event. Um, Chris Patterson and myself will be speaking at the American Association of Individual Investors uh, annual conference. That will be online, and uh, that will be September 30th and October 1st. Uh, we will each be speaking a couple of times. Uh, I will be making a, a presentation about 20 things you should know about small cap value. Uh, and I'll be on a panel with uh, some other um, experts. In fact, uh, I feel uh, honored to, to be there for this panel talking about investing and using your investments in retirement and Chris will be joining Larry Swedro and uh, another expert on factor investing. And then we'll have an additional surprise for you that uh, uh, I'm, I think you will probably enjoy. Uh, so with that, all this background, I want to talk, I want to talk about uh, a website or, or let's say a, um, a blogger. He's a combination of a blogger, and he does a podcast along with uh, one of his partners uh, uh, in an investment advisory firm. Uh, the gentleman I'm speaking of is Ben Carlson. Now, I've talked about him several times, but I just want you to know Ben is somebody that I read every morning. Uh, first, I read Seth Godin, and then I read Ben's work. And, uh, and, and, and while I'm not an expert on how Ben manages money, uh, I, I see it as a combination basically of buy and hold and, and, and some timing. By the way, that timing may be with individual stocks but uh, rather than market timing, but it's still timing. Uh, and, and, uh, but that really isn't why I'm attracted uh, to his work. I'm attracted to his work because he does write some of the, the best pieces to give perspective to the process of investing. In fact, I don't think I know anybody who's much better than Ben, and, uh, and, and I hope if you get a chance, you'll read some of his work. Now, today, I'm actually going to make reference to three different articles they all have uh, something in common, and I have we have links at the the discussion about what's in our our podcast there on our website. So I, if you want to dig deeper and actually read these articles, uh, you're you're welcome to it. And I hope you become a fan of Ben as I have. This particular series of articles is really about the difficult decision to be an investor in individual stocks. Now, I suspect that when people think of investing in individual stocks and beating the market, they probably aren't talking about dividend stocks or kind of traditional stocks that 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 lumber along, maybe make good returns, but 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 uh, are not expected to to uh, beat the market. 
I think the kinds of stocks that people are looking for that are building portfolios of individual stocks tend to be those that have this ability to do much better than the market. And, and, And Ben goes out of his way to remind people that those are the same stocks that can grossly underperform the market. And there is this ongoing debate about whether it is better to invest in individual, let's talk in terms of gross stocks, uh, versus being an index investor. Those are huge decisions. Maybe the return will be the same. Maybe the return for those growth companies will be worse. We do know this. We do know that as a group, growth companies underperform the out-of-favor value companies. So we know there are some some inherent risks in these growth companies. One of the risks is they get so overpriced that when they fall apart, they really fall apart and cost investors a lot. But I do think when we talk about people investing in individual stocks, that more than likely they belong in this group, that their primary objective is to beat the market. I mean, anybody can get the market return by by investing in an index fund. But why would you be a pigeon and buy a fund that owns a bunch of dogs along with the good ones? If you remember that Bessembinder study we talked about several times over the last few years, and uh, the title is Do Stocks Outperform T-Bills? And it turns out that 96% of public companies going back to the late 20s, uh, 1920s, that that those companies, that 96%, uh, earned an average return of about 3%, which happens to be the compound rate of return of T-bills, which is the reason for the question in the title. But it is the other 4%, the one out of 25 companies that created the home run that uh, that made the difference, that gave the S&P 500 a return of, of, of 10% instead of 3%. Now, the reality is that those, just as I mentioned before, those handful of companies uh, have the character of being very volatile. And one of the reasons they're very volatile is probably because they can get way ahead of themselves because people see this future that is just absolutely amazing. Remember in the late 90s, all those companies that were selling for 200 and 300 and even a thousand times earnings. In fact, in many cases, the PE ratio was infinite because there were not any earnings. So, this first, this first article is entitled Simple Explanations for Complex Topics. And in this particular article, he starts by focusing on Zillow. Uh, Zillow, the company that uh, uh, evaluates the price of your home and is also a very profitable company as it generates income from referring interested buyers 
uh, to uh, re- retail uh, real estate retailers uh, in the area. Now, he notes in the article is that Zillow is one of the biggest residential real estate brands in the world and is getting hammered in the midst of one of the biggest housing booms we've ever seen. So what we've got is a a company that was very, very popular, in fact, even being down 48% from the all-time highs, uh, they make the point that they're in the midst of the biggest housing boom of the writer's, uh, Ben's lifetime. Then he talks about all the reasons that come up they co- people come up with that why is Zillow down? Why when it's doing so well? In fact, it recently came out with a very good second quarter uh, re- report uh, with a better than expected revenue and uh, in fact uh, up 70% over the year, the previous year and talked about how premier agent revenue grew 82% over the year and on and on about what a great year they've been having. So the, the, the belief then is that, well, people must not be expecting them to do as well in the future. But as he says, Ben says, the company is still growing at a, a, a healthy clip. And, uh, and he, he has a response to every theory that the investors have as to why it's, why it's down. Uh, and by the way, I think it's important to remember that that old idea about there is no risk in the past, we always know afterwards uh, what that outcome is and what we should have done. But he did note that the price-to-sales ratio was well over 13 times um, the sales in February when they had the, 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 the big decline from the peak. Uh, and, uh, but, of course, it has now fallen considerably. He does mention that at one point the stock was up 550% from the bottom, the bottom being March of last year, but it's still up about 225%. So is this a stock on the way down, on the way out, or is this a stock that now represents just a wonderful opportunity to buy? This is the challenge for investors who are buying stocks one at a time. And, of course, he makes the point, for every seller, there's a buyer. And so when you have that transaction, one person is saying, I think it's going to go up higher, and the other is saying, I think I could buy it cheaper. So the question then is, what is the individual to do? Is this a great opportunity to get in at a low price, or is it the beginning of the end? And then they go on to talk about Amazon. And a lot of people know Amazon from the, from the last few years in terms of phenomenal uh, uh, up, up move that it's had. But what many people may not know, and they show in this article, the maximum intra-year drawdown going back to, I think, about 1995. 
and you've got one year, it's down 83%. Excuse me, let me make sure. Yeah, 83%. The previous year, it was down 59%. The previous year, it was down 47%. Then in 2001, it was down 73%. By the way, these are from the high of that particular year. Uh, Then you go out to about 2008, and it was down 54% from the high that year. In fact, every year, the, 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 the best year, it was down 11% from its high. As a matter of fact, the last 10 years, it has not down, been down more than 30%. But the point is, in order to be an Amazon investor, you have to stay the course. As a matter of fact, it it is the, the 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 dilemma for investors is when it comes down like this, do you buy more, or do you think this is the end of the long term move and you get out? And the point that he makes that is so important for individual for investors who buy individual stocks is that when you are dealing with these highs, new highs and new lows the both infuriating and intoxicating emotional responses that we have to all of this up and down volatility. So that article sets up the discussion of what a challenge it is when you're dealing with these stocks that are highly volatile. In the next article, and at the end of that article, you get a uh, a a, um, a link to the the next article that's worth reading that goes along with the last one, and and Ben always does that so that if if you want to f- kind of follow up and dig deeper about any topic he talks about, you're going to get a chance to do that. The next article is entitled "Owning the Best Stocks is Hard," and he says in here uh, the power of compounding for some of these platforms is so huge that you know if you invest in an Amazon or whatever, the hardest thing to possibly do is just close your eyes and forget it. And unfortunately, if you're in it for the long term and are going to to go Assume it's that one out of 25 that have been so powerful in, in, in building long-term uh, growth and, and, and value that uh, you just got to ignore the ups and downs on the short term. And if you start to analyze these companies, they go on to say, that is probably going to cause you to sell the stock. Because part of the process of being in these kinds of stocks is that they have these huge moves up and huge moves down. And what you're investing for, like Tesla, I've got a friend. He keeps buying Tesla. doesn't matter what way it goes. He just believes Tesla is the finest company that ever existed. And he has... And, and he's not as old as I am. I'm, I'm, I, feel, I feel that's good, but he's not that much younger than I am. And the question is, how much 
Tesla should you have in your portfolio? Well, when you believe as strongly as my friend does, it, it, it doesn't have to make sense because his belief is this is going to be one of the future powerhouses in corporate America. So you just hold tight. And as Ben says, that is so easy to say, but so hard to implement. And then he says about Amazon, the near 95% crash following the tech bust is the one most people point to. The stock was underwater from 1999 to 2009. Now, is that the kind of individual stock that I would ever recommend, knowing that that's what is built into that kind of a company? Is that the kind of stock I want to recommend to somebody who's taking money out annually to live on in retirement? On the other hand, if they have money put aside for grandkids and whatnot in some other portfolio, it may be that that, that living with that kind of volatility is okay. But then there was also a 54% crash in the 2005-2006 uh, market, a 58% dive in 2008, and five separate losses of 25% or worse since 2009. And of course, as I said earlier, the problem with such regular bone-crushing losses is you never know if your stock is going to come back or night or not. But I want you to hear this next statement because it is one we should always keep in our back of the mind, back of mind, if we think we should load up on one stock or even a handful. Since 1980, more than 40% of all companies in the U.S. stock market have experienced a decline of 70% or worse without recovering. So the idea, if you just hold on a while, everything is going to be okay. Yes, that has been true with the market in general, but... 40% of all public companies have, in fact, not recovered after a decline of 70%. Now, those 70% declines tend to happen with technology companies more than they happen with, uh, uh, with traditional uh, kinds of, of companies. But you may remember that uh, even REITs were down, in some cases, 70%. Uh, going back uh, uh, to the 2000, uh, let's see, yeah, the 2008 uh, decline. Then he goes into Microsoft, and he says the stock fell nearly 75% following the dot-com debacle, and it took 17 years for the price to make it back to the levels of late 1999. It also fell 50%. 56% in 2008, and, uh, and had other major uh, uh, corrections. 
Then he brings up one other very interesting story. I didn't, I don't follow individual stocks. I didn't know there was a company that was up 125%. Nobody ever suggested I buy it, but that is a company called Monster Beverage. And uh, he shows, and by the way, these articles are, are filled with, uh, uh, with graphs. But this graph looks like, you know, this does not look like a company that survived to make, um, what did I say it was, 125,000%? Yep. Uh, it's fallen 60% or more four times, and two of those times it was down 90%. Now think of that. Think of the stability you have to have uh, in order to survive uh, that kind uh, of, of downside volatility. Again, not knowing for sure it's going to come back. Now, yes, yes, we all own these if we're index fund owners. We're going to end up with these in our portfolios. But it's going to be such a small amount that we're not going to feel like we made a lot of money from Monster. Well, fact is, you did make a lot of money from Monster, but it was just part of a, the general move up in the market. It does go on, does go on to mention that Tesla was up more than 730 percent in 2020 alone, and uh, that it was down 60 percent. Uh, during the corona crash. So um, let's see what else can come up. Uh, uh, he talks about uh, uh, Peloton. This was an $8 billion market cap company going into 2020. By early January 2021, it was close to $50 billion. It has since fallen back to about $30 billion. So this is the reality of individual stocks. And the ones that have the huge upside potential are typically the ones that go through massive corrections. And the point that he makes is that you cannot take the position of trying to be both a bear and a bull in a company that you think is a great company for the future. Now, if you find a reason why you think somebody else is going to knock them off, like a lot of people probably felt about Netflix, if you think there is a reason, that would be different. But unless you see some real reason, don't let the decline in the stock change your long-term belief. So picking the winners is hard, Ben says, Holding on to them might even be harder. Again, uh, this is one of, of several writers on investing that I just think is, is, is special. Again, the name of his, uh, of his uh, blog is A Wealth of Common Sense, and I am not recommending his work as an investment advisor because I don't know enough about his work as an investment advisor. But I think in giving perspective and a, and a good 
a market historian, and I guarantee if you listen to his uh, his weekly podcast, or actually sometimes they have them more often than weekly, uh, I think you'll find it very, very interesting information. I hope that helps, and uh, we'll see you next week. I hope you'll tell your friends to tune in for the special uh, presentation next week on our new calculator. And I can't wait to get your feedback on that calculator. I hope that at least a 100 of you will bury me with comments pro and con, by the way, at paul at paulmerriman.com. I want them to come right. I want to be able to get up in the morning at 3 o'clock and hear what you have to say about this new calculator because uh, I think this is going to give people a chance to get another layer of confidence in the work that they are uh, doing, trusting in the historical returns that we've laid out for people to kind of understand what the good times and the bad times look like. Uh, Fortunately, if you do it the way that we recommend, you're not going to see 60, 70, 80, 95 percent declines, at least not in the past, and, uh, and hopefully never in the future. Thanks for listening. Share our information with others. And thanks so much for those of you who have uh, both recommended others to our our work and also those who have donated uh, to our cause. We are a a tax-deductible 501c3, so you do get to use it as a deduction against your taxes, um, depending on your tax situation. Take care and all the best. That was Paul Merriman with Sound Investing. Sound Investing, soundinvesting.com, and paulmerriman.com are produced and exclusively owned by Paul Merriman, who is solely responsible for their content. For more information, free articles, mutual fund recommendations, and more, visit paulmerriman.com.